The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Markets kicking off the new trading week with the Dow and the S&P once again hovering at fresh record highs and cryptocurrencies continuing their comeback with Bitcoin marching towards the $50,000 mark. The Biden administration defending its decisions surrounding Afghanistan as the Taliban continues to rapidly gain ground over there will go live overseas for the latest. Back here on the home front, the race to vaccinate Americans gaining more momentum as top health officials warn of an intensifying surge in cases ahead. We will talk with the head of one hospital in a COVID hotspot about the challenges they are facing. Fresh comments from one Fed head offering new insight into when the central bank may scaling back its easy money policies and a big week for retail companies as some of the sector's largest names prepare to open their books amid continued supply chain challenges. It is Monday, August 16th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. Here is how your money in the global markets are setting their day up with stock futures indicating a lower open. The Dow Jones indicated lower by 81 points, the S&P by about nine points and the Nasdaq down as well. The S&P, by the way, wrapping up a fresh record last week. The tech heavier Nasdaq composite underperforming for the week, falling fractionally. Taking a look at the Treasury picture right now, the 10-year Treasury note yield currently stands at just about 1.27%, a slight tick lower. Turning to oil prices now, under pressure this morning following data out of China showing a slowdown in economic activity amid fresh COVID outbreaks there. Well, WTI crude prices right now down by just about 1%, $67.80, just about $70 per barrel, down about three quarters of 1% for world benchmark Brent crude futures. Also, though, have a look at cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin right now, those prices on a 47 handle, 47,158, up roughly 2%. Ethereum prices up 2% as well, 3270, the last trade there. This is all amid the continued comeback in the price of cryptocurrencies overall, their total market value climbing back above the $2 trillion mark over the weekend. Now to that rapidly developing story out of Afghanistan, the Afghan president fleeing the country yesterday ahead of Taliban fighters entering the city of Kabul, as you can see here, the group is rapidly expanding its control in that country. Back here at home, the Biden administration is facing harsh criticism over the situation in Afghanistan. The State Department revealing another 1,000 U.S. troops will be deployed to help with the deteriorating security situation as it works to evacuate U.S. embassy personnel over there. We have our own CNBC, Dan Murphy, joining us now from Abu Dhabi with the latest there. Dan, what exactly can you tell us about what's happening with Kabul and the rest of the country? Well, Dom, significant developments this morning as we witness this historic moment continuing to unfold nearly two decades after the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan. 
extraordinary pictures emerging just in the past 24 hours of Taliban fighters armed and inside the Afghan presidential palace. That came shortly after CNBC here in the Middle East was able to confirm that the Afghan president had fled the country fearing for his own safety. Now, this all unfolded as we also saw the Biden administration moving to deploy an additional 6,000 troops into Afghanistan to essentially help to ensure the safety and security of U.S. embassy personnel on the ground as it worked to evacuate the U.S. embassy in Kabul, which has now ultimately been almost completely cleared out. Of course, at the same time, right now, we're also monitoring developments at Kabul airport, which appears to be the center of this story at the moment. We're seeing reports of mass gatherings on the ground there right now, as thousands of Afghan citizens attempt to escape what is clearly a worsening security situation on the ground. NBC reported earlier shots apparently being fired at the airport today as well. Clearly the situation continuing to deteriorate. All the while, though, we have heard the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, defending the U.S. decision to withdraw troops while also calling for a peaceful transition of power in Afghanistan, whatever that might look like. Listen. Yes, we've seen these reports of the uh, uh, Afghans uh, and uh, the Afghan government, the Taliban, uh, talking about uh, the way forward. Uh, we're going to uh, work to support uh, those efforts. We have a team in, uh, in Doha uh, to do that, working with the United Nations, uh, working with other interested countries, including Qatar, uh, to see if uh, there can be a um, peaceful uh, resolution uh, going forward, uh, a peaceful settlement, uh, a peaceful uh, transfer of power. Uh, that would be good for uh, uh, the people of, uh, of Afghanistan to avoid further bloodshed. So, Don, the situation still unfolding as we speak, some likening this to President Biden's Vietnam moment. At the same time, some going as far as to say that this was a hasty and embarrassing end to America's two-decade engagement in Afghanistan. And it wasn't just a two-decade engagement. It was also one that cost uh, over a trillion dollars by some estimates here for the United States and coalition partners. What exactly? It, it's not just the airport there. We, we, we've seen reports of casualties, Dan. It's also universities in, in the city. It's also places that could be the target of Taliban interest. What exactly is happening with all the other parts of the city besides just the airport? Well, Dom, the greatest fear at the moment on the ground, and in particular in the region, I'm coming to you from Abu Dhabi, the worry is that Afghanistan will once again become a hotbed for terrorism. The clear concern is that a win for the Taliban in Afghanistan is a win for terrorists and insurgents globally. So watch this space. Also, Dom, a number of unanswered questions this morning still, including how is Afghan leadership going to look into the future? Clearly, that situation also quite concerning at the moment. At the same time, how and why was the Afghan government and the Afghan army not able to defend themselves from the Taliban and stop this overall takeover of the country, even after all of the American investment that we've seen on the ground there? And of course, uh, the big question of what happens next, Dom, which at this point is very unclear. Yeah, we've already seen headlines coming out right now. AFP is putting out some headlines saying that China is willing to develop 
friendly relations with Afghanistan's Taliban. So a very fluid situation for sure, especially among other countries. Dan Murphy in Abu Dhabi with the latest here on Afghanistan. Thank you very much. Now to some of this morning's top stories. Sticking with Afghanistan, United Airlines has started rerouting its flights to India to avoid Afghan airspace amidst the situation on the ground there that you just heard. The carrier serves Delhi and Mumbai markets from its Newark and O'Hare hubs. Meanwhile, Fly Dubai and Emirates Airlines have said that they have suspended flights to Kabul. You can see United Airlines shares down roughly 1% pre-market. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is pushing to tie President Biden's $1 trillion infrastructure plan to the $3.5 trillion spending package in a bid to navigate the Democratic Party's ideological divide on the matter. In a letter to her members, Pelosi wrote that she has asked the House Rules Committee to look at rules that advance both pieces of legislation. Some centrist House members have said they won't consider voting for the budget resolution until the infrastructure bill is approved. Progressives have said they won't sign off on the infrastructure bill until the spending plan gets approved. So you can see the dynamic there developing. And the Department of of Homeland Security is reportedly considering hiring private companies to analyze social media for warning signs of extremist threats following the January 6th Capitol attack. According to the Wall Street Journal, speaking to a top DHS official, the effort would involve going through large amounts of Internet traffic to find leads on potential developing attacks. The journal says the plan remains under discussion and has not received approval or any kind of funding. Back to the markets now, and your next guest says the forecast for Wall Street this summer is three storms, followed by sunny skies or a longer-term favorable outlook for equities. Robert Teeter is the head of the Investment Policy and Strategy Group at Silvercrest Asset Management. Robert, thank you very much for being here with us. Storms sounds ominous. Just how serious could they be and what will they be? Well, thanks, Tom. I, I do think the market's facing three storms here. I do think they will pass. Uh, the first of these is the Fed. We've had a lot of talk recently from Fed governors about tapering. Um, I do think they'll be taking a very tempered and measured approach. I don't think investors need to be too concerned about Fed policy here. It will shift a bit. It still will be supportive. The second of these is inflation. It remains in the headlines. I do think inflation readings will be above the Fed's 2% target for some time. However, I think we're past peak inflation, and so that should remove that concern, and that storm should pass as well. And the last is the one that I think investors are really focused on here, which is COVID. Um, We saw the Michigan sentiment data decline pretty significantly last week, and we've started to see some effect on real-time economic data from the COVID variant, uh, whether that is in hotel and airlines, restaurants, things like that are starting to cool down just a bit at the margin. The good news is we're coming from a place of strength. The economy is running very strong, and I think we can weather that storm as well as we pass through the Delta variant. Which of the three in your mind could have the biggest market impact, the most, uh, I guess, the biggest drawdown that could happen if things start to really go wrong? I think from COVID, um, I don't think we're going to have any major surprises from the Fed. They've been very clear in communication. And again, I'm not terribly concerned about inflation here. The numbers are on the table and I think we're past peak. Um, But I do think if Delta gets worse than folks expect, I do think if it goes on longer and if these economic impacts start to snowball a bit, um, investors could have a bit of a surprise, a bit of a rocky road in the next couple of weeks or months. We haven't seen a significant pullback for the better part of a year, maybe even more at this point. How big of a pullback could any of those storms really take the market? Are we talking that three to five percent that we've done that, that we've grown accustomed to? Could we see another 10 to 15 percent? Could we see another 30 some percent drawdown like we saw during the pandemic lows? 
I think somewhere in the middle ground there. As you mentioned, we've come a long way. Stocks are priced pretty fairly here, although we are optimistic for next year. Um, I don't think it would be unusual to see what we would call normal correction of 5 to 10%, uh, mostly on the basis of some of that change in sentiment, whether it's uh, UMichigan or the San Francisco Fed's uh, new sentiment survey. Uh, sentiment's turning a little bit here. Bearish readings have picked up in the bull bear surveys. Um, so I do think we could have a bit of a pullback but the underlying support is still there for growth going forward. So I think it would be in that middle range of correction. All right. Robert Teeter, Silvercrest, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you. When we come back on the show, the resurgence of COVID, forcing more companies to reinstate testing protocols for employees. We talk to the head of one company looking to help with that whole process. Plus, T-Mobile is looking into a possible data breach potentially impacting tens of millions of its customers details on what information may have been compromised and later on social media's role in riskier investment behavior findings from a new study putting a microscope on younger traders we've got a busy hour still ahead when worldwide exchange returns after this break what does it mean to be rich maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back. The spread of the COVID Delta variant this summer is forcing many companies to rethink their return to office plans. Less than 20 percent of employers were performing COVID tests last spring, but more are likely to look at that kind of testing now. Rapid antigen tests are readily available. The cost is modest. Employees can test themselves at home and results are available in minutes sometimes. One digital healthcare company is hoping to lead the way to a safer workplace. EMED is partnering with Quest Diagnostics to offer employers virtually guided at-home COVID testing. Dr. Patrice Harris is co-founder and CEO of EMED and former president of the American Medical Association. Dr. Harris, thank you very much for being here with us. Let's talk a little bit about just how serious a situation the Delta variant has become where employers now have to look at this kind of testing to ensure a safe workplace. Well, good morning, Dom, and thank you so much for having me. And we see across this country increased hospitalizations. Uh, We see ICU beds full. And so we know that we are in the middle of a surge. It is not impacting every region the same, but there's no doubt that we are in the middle of a surge. But we are also in the middle of going back to work and going back to school. And we should be doing those things. And doing those things and facilitating back to work and back to school in the safest manner possible. So this collaboration between Quest and EMED does offer employees the opportunity 
to foster safer workplaces using our platform for testing. So so I'm curious because for many of us out here who've been kind of working, I I, I kind of joke around tongue in cheek, somewhat serious, somewhat not that I, I didn't really have a pandemic experience because I've been in the office since March of last year. And since the summer of last year, my company has been testing employees on a regular basis. How much do you think it will be a hurdle for other companies to get their employees to kind of adopt this paradigm of having to test to ensure that they they do have a safe workplace? You know, Dom, at EMED, we say we want to make the right thing to do, the easy thing to do. You have been fortunate in that you have been in a workplace where there's been regular testing, but that was so uneven, uh, particularly early on in the pandemic. And that is why EMED was very committed to democratizing access to testing. And so, uh, yes, uh, we want employees, employers uh, to certainly make sure their workplaces are safer. Testing is a critical component of that. And through the EMAD platform, uh, it certainly makes it easier uh, for employers to offer this testing. And not only that, Dom, uh, what's unique and the added advantage of EMAD is that we have certified guides walk through the process uh, because we know we want to make sure that our results are certified. We want to verify and validate identities. And so it's not enough just to take the test. You need to take the test in a certified process. And also these results need to go to public health departments at the local, state, and federal level uh, so we can mitigate any outbreaks and certainly have the data that we need uh, to further address this surge. Uh, Dr. Harris, before we let you go, there, there was over the course of the last year in the, in the context of testing, there had always been kind of like a delineation, almost a separation between the quality of PCR, full PCR tests versus those of rapid antigen tests that are, that are available in, say, 15 to 20 minutes. Do you feel as though the technology right now has made it so that those PCR tests and rapid antigen tests can be acceptable to all employers as a good way of detecting COVID? Well, Dom, there was some unfortunate comparisons early on. It's about right test, right place, right time, and right usage. But I can say uh, that the rapid antigen tests uh, that EMED deploys is very good at detecting infectious individuals. And that is really the goal. So it's really not about PCR versus antigen. It's about both. Uh, They are certainly appropriate for different kinds of usage. And if you want to, again, increase the usage of these tests in a manner that is affordable, certainly the rapid antigen test through EMED is the way to go. All right, Dr. Harris at EMED, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Please come back and keep us posted on what's happening with the COVID pandemic. Thank you, Don. Still on deck for the show, a major deal involving one of the world's most well-known hotel brands. What it could signal about optimism on a rebound in travel. We are back in just a moment. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good Monday morning, Francis. Hi, Don. Good morning to you. We start this morning with a trio of tropical storm systems that are swirling in the Atlantic. Tropical Storm Fred is expected to hit southern Florida and the Panhandle, packing winds of up to 45 miles per hour. The storm could dump as much as eight inches of rain in some areas. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has already declared a state of emergency in parts of the state ahead of that storm. Now to Haiti, where at least 1,300 people have died in the wake of Saturday's 7.2 magnitude earthquake. A search and rescue team from Virginia arrived in Haiti overnight. The team includes 65 people, and they brought four dogs and 52,000 pounds of equipment. They will join federal response teams already on the island. And tennis star Naomi Osaka has pledged to donate any winnings from the Western and Southern Open this week to earthquake relief efforts. Osaka's father was born in Haiti. For Monday morning, Dom, those are your headlines. Back to you. All right, Francis Rivera, thank you very much for those. Still on deck for the show, the new remarks from one Fed chief on the central bank's policy road ahead when he says the easy money train may begin to slow down. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out in audio format on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange, podcast format. We'll be right back. Stocks set to face pressure, fresh pressure, as the new trading week kicks off with the Dow and the S&P both hovering near record highs. U.S. health officials warning of an intensifying surge in new COVID cases in the weeks and months ahead. We will talk with the CEO of one of Texas hospital, one Texas hospital, as that state grapples with a growing crisis surrounding the virus pandemic. And T-Mobile grappling with an apparent data breach involving tens of millions of its customers' data. It is Monday, August 16th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Here is how your money and investments are looking as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. Stock futures pointing to some losses at the opening bell with the Dow implied lower by roughly 80 points. The S&P lower by about nine points and a 23 point drop for the Nasdaq. We have a very busy week for economic data with a number of key reports out, as you can see there. Tomorrow, we get retail sales figures and the NAHB Home Builders Index. Later in the week, it's housing starts. And then we have initial jobless claims and the Fed releasing its minutes from its latest policy meeting. Turning now to the oil markets. Under pressure this morning following data out of China showing a slowdown in economic activity amid fresh COVID outbreaks over there. Right now, U.S. benchmark crude is down 1%, $67.74. World benchmark Brent crude down about a percent as well, $69.95. We also have to take a look at the cryptocurrency sphere. Bitcoin prices right now on a 47 handle, 47,113 roughly. Ethereum up about 2% as well, 32.65 the last trade there. This is all amid the continued comeback in the price of cryptocurrencies. Their total market value, by the way, climbing back above the $2 trillion mark over this past weekend. 
Let's now go worldwide. Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with a look at the early European trade. Good morning, Juliana. Dom, good morning. So European equity markets have opened lower following the weak handover from Asia. Here's a look for you uh, from a regional perspective. We've got the FTSE 100 here in the UK leading losses down nearly 1%, but the losses are fairly evenly spread throughout the region. That data out from China overnight, Dom, that you mentioned, no doubt weighing on sentiment to a degree this morning. It missed expectations with growth slowing across retail sales, industrial output, and fixed asset investment at the same time time, investors a little bit jittery over the rise in geopolitical risk with the situation in Afghanistan and also those concerns around the spread of the Delta variant. But putting this into context, the stock 600 coming into today has rallied for 10 sessions in a row. That's the longest run of consecutive gains for the index since 2006. So we've had a really strong run this morning. We are in retreat. And here's how we're looking from a sector perspective this morning. We've got red for nearly every sector, real estate being the only exception, trading about two tenths of a percent higher. On the downside, basic resources leading losses down more than 2%. Basic resources very, very tied to the China story. So no doubt that uh, weaker than expected China data overnight weighing on sentiment in that sector. Oil and gas, the other key underperformer this morning, down 1.6% alongside retail and travel and leisure. Dom, back over to you. Juliana Tattlebaum live in London with the latest there. Thank you very much. Now to some of this morning's top stories. T-Mobile is investigating claims a hacker is trying to sell the personal data of more than 100 million customers. Vice's motherboard, which first reported the incident, says a hacker on an online forum claimed to be selling the information, including names, social security numbers, phone and driver's license numbers as well. Now, if confirmed, the breach could affect nearly every T-Mobile customer in the United States. Hyatt Hotels plans to buy resort company Apple Leisure Group from private equity firms KKR and KSL Capital Partners for roughly $2.7 billion. Apple Leisure operates the Secrets, Dreams, and Breathless Resorts and Spa Chains and sells vacation packages under the CheapCaribbean.com and Apple Vacations brands. The deal would give Hyatt one of the largest U.S. providers of charter flights and vacation packages to Mexico, the Dominican Republic, Jamaica, and the Caribbean. Hyatt Hotels right now unchanged in the extended trade. And Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari says a few more strong jobs reports would mark enough progress in the economic recovery to allow the Fed to start tapering its bond purchases. Kashkari making those comments on a Bloomberg podcast that was taped last week. Still, he says the inflation will ultimately limit the employment outcomes of the Fed that the Fed hopes to achieve, although he believes the current pricing pressures right now are transitory. And later on today, don't miss Boston Fed President Eric Rosengren right here on CNBC later on this afternoon, 4.30 p.m. Eastern time with our colleagues on CNBC's Closing Bell. Now to the latest in the virus pandemic with the U.S. averaging about 129,000 new cases per day. That number could see a dramatic uptick. This according to the NIH director, Dr. Francis Collins, warning that the country may soon cross 200,000 new cases per day. The last time the country averaged that many cases was back in January. Dr. Collins calling unvaccinated Americans, quote unquote, sitting ducks for this particular virus. Now, on the vaccine front, the Biden administration is developing a plan to start offering covid booster shots as early as this fall. First boosters would likely go to nursing home residents and healthcare workers. The effort comes as the U.S. reported almost one million covid vaccine doses on Saturday. 
the most for a single day since early July. All of this as hospitalizations continue to rise, particularly in states with unvaccinated people. Texas, for example, is seeing an increase of 400 percent over the last month, and all seven emergency rooms in the Houston Methodist Hospital system are currently full. Joining us to discuss all of this is Dr. Mark Boom, president and CEO of Houston Methodist Hospital. Doctor, thank you very much for being here this morning. Let's talk about just how stretched your hospital system is right now because of the virus pandemic. Unfortunately, yesterday we set our all-time record. And so uh, we had in the past had uh, at 7 p.m. when we measured this every night to get consistent results, 730 patients. Last night we hit 749 across our 2,300-bed system. And it shows no sign of slowing down, unfortunately. And so we are preparing for continued rises and continued stretching of the men and women who've been working so hard for the last 18 months and who really um, have done a phenomenal job. And it's quite a trying time because we're still not seeing the kinds of protections put in place in the community and the actions taken to really start to bend this curve back down. Doctor, what do you think, in your medical opinion, is the reason behind the the, the hospitalizations that you have? What, What is it that's driving that surge back up to the highest levels that we've seen since early this year? Well, it, it's kind of a perfect storm of three things. The first of which, of course, is the Delta variant. The Delta variant is wide, you know, widely more infectious. It, it spreads very quickly. Couple that with low vaccination rates. And in our community, we're probably five, six, seven percent below the United States averages. And then couple that with, you know, a time where effectively we had no mitigation activities happening in the community. We've started to see that shift back. We're seeing the R or the spreading start to come down. But again, we're still seeing record levels and we don't see an end sight. So we're going to be dealing and smashing through the previous records, unfortunately. Can, can you take us through what is different this time right now with the Delta variant surge? Uh, I mean, this feels a little bit like it was last summer to early fall when we saw the surge in the first part of the virus pandemic. Are there any similarities and differences in your, in your mind with regard to what we're seeing now versus what we saw in, say, July to September of last year? It's very similar. The rate of increase is just astounding. I mean, it's day after day and very, very steep, as opposed to the winter surge, which kind of, you know, built in the foothills and then really started steepening. The other thing we're seeing is that this is all about the unvaccinated. When we did a snapshot across the greater Houston region about 10 days ago, 91 percent of patients in hospital with COVID were unvaccinated. In my hospital system, where we have a huge transplant program and a lot of very vulnerable patients, It's a little lower than that. So we're about 83% or so are unvaccinated, about 17% are vaccinated. But of course, those 17% are vaccinated are older. They have weaker immune systems. They have immunosuppression because of transplant or cancer, other things. So they're the very people we should be protecting. The bottom line is if we had all gotten vaccinated, almost no one would be in the hospitals because those 83% for the most part wouldn't be there and they wouldn't be infecting the rest of the individuals as well. And so we know what to do. If we today acted like we did last summer when we realized, oh my goodness, it is really getting bad and stop today, we could break this curve in about 10 days. Unfortunately, we still haven't seen those kinds of mitigation activities. And I'm afraid we're in for a a significant rise still. A a curve implies that there is an upslope and a downslope as well. We've we've heard uh, evidence uh, numbers wise, if you will, statistics from places like the UK and Israel that appear to see that curve on the downswing right now with the Delta variant. 
Is that something that will happen here in the U.S.? I'm sure it will eventually. This will burn itself out. I just don't know when. When we look at the U.K. experience, the India experience, we should be peaking sometime in the next week or so. But we're not seeing any inkling of that. And that's just hope. I mean, that's just hope that it looks like theirs. And hope for me is not a strategy. What we need to do is focus on planning for the worst and focus on changing behaviors, focus on getting more people vaccinated. And right now, it's really about masks. It's about uh, distancing. It's about stopping doing many of the things we're doing in large group settings, because those are clearly spreading the virus. And this virus spreads like wildfire among people who are not vaccinated. We just see it explode. And that's exactly what is happening right now. All right, Dr. Mark Boom, the CEO of Houston Methodist Hospital. Uh, thank you very much for your thoughts and insights, sir. And good luck with the, good luck with the situation there. Thank you. Coming up on the show, a big week for retail ahead with a number of high-profile names out with their quarterly results. Stacey Widlitz is standing by with what investors need to know and watch for out of those big reports. But first, as we head on to break, some of your other top stories this morning. SpaceX moving closer to a key step in its bid for orbital and interplanetary travel. Yes, interplanetary. Founder Elon Musk revealing over the weekend that the first orbital stack of the Starship rocket could be ready for flight in the coming weeks. Walt Disney's Free Guy pulling in $28 million in its domestic box office debut. The Ryan Reynolds film starting really topping expectations with a theater-only release, not on streaming. And then sales at this weekend's Pebble Beach and Monterey Car Week auctions hitting $343 million. That's a 35% jump from 2019 levels. The most expensive car sold was the McLaren F1 which went for a staggering $20.5 million, making it the most expensive car to auction in three years. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's a very big week for retail with earnings on tap from a number of high-profile names, as you're seeing there, including Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Lowe's, TJX Companies, Kohl's, you name them. We'll also get a check on the sector with retail sales figures out tomorrow morning as well. The data all comes as students across the country prepare to head back to school and parents stock up on those school supplies. For more, let's bring in Stacey Woodlitz, president of SW Retail Advisors. Stacey, this is always a key time for many retailers because of that back to school transition. Is the Delta variant Is the supply chain impact that we're seeing going to have an effect on the back-to-school season? Well, Dom, I've been out in stores, and I would tell you that there are shortages of just about everything, particularly in toys and footwear. So before we even really get into back-to-school, we're already seeing problems on the shelves. So that is the biggest challenge right now. Also, you know, talking to stores with the Delta variant headlines you're not really seeing a huge slowdown in traffic quite yet. Um, you know, most of the stores are saying the American consumer is quite resilient, and certainly we've learned that. But I think there'll be some volatility um, as people, you know, are getting somewhat fearful of, of being back in the stores. And also, you know, there's some controversy in the stores. Mask up, don't mask up. So, you know, back to school is off to a decent start because we haven't really had one in two years but look for some volatility as we get further into it. So, so I mean, th- this is a, a, an interesting point, Stacey. If you take a look at the balance sheet of the American consumer overall, there's no doubt the numbers show that things have gotten a lot better. 
We thought there was going to be a massive drop off in spending as government stimulus programs, direct checks started to go away. We have not seen that just yet. And there could be more help on the way in the future at some point. What does all of this mean? Does it mean that the retailers out there are going to have a good fall and holiday shopping season? I think retailers and brands are going to have one of the best back to school seasons we've seen in more than a decade. Because if you think about all that pent up demand and also you think about the teen shopper that led us really back into the stores, they haven't been to school. They haven't been to really express themselves in a couple of years now. So American Eagle, Abercrombie and Fitch. And by the way, Dom, because of the inventory shortages, everything is full price. So those margins continue to be extremely elevated, which is something we've seen over the last nine months. So you're going to see profitability, but perhaps for some of the names, because of the supply pressure and cost of shipping, which you've talked so much about, um, you know, watch out for um, out of stocks. So, 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 that, so that's a good point. There, there's a balance here, right? If you have a lot of inventory, you have more stuff to sell. There may be a question about pricing, whether you have to be more promotional. At the same time, if you don't have enough stuff to sell, you don't have to be promotional, but you can't sell that much stuff. So which companies have managed that supply chain the best? Which ones are positioned the best, in your opinion, to do well this this season? Well, I think if you look at who's reporting this week, um, we've got Target and Target's comps have been absolute leading retail. And not only is it online, but it's the in-store comps. You know, they guided mid to high single digits for this quarter when the street was looking for negative. They're facing those really tough two years compares, but they've got what the consumer wants, the private label, the kids, the toys, you name it. Their in-stocks are slightly better than what I've seen from the competition. Of course, Walmart as well. So I think any of the, the, the big names are once again going to continue to lead us because they have the strength to actually get product from the supply chain. The other thing is I would look at um, DTC brands um, rather than wholesale, for example, of course, a Nike rather than a Foot Locker, because think about it, if we have short supply, the brands are going to keep the good supply for themselves and perhaps the wholesale channel gets the shortage. So I think that's the way to play holiday here. All right. Stacey Woodless, SW Retail Advisors. Thank you very much. It's going to be a very, very busy week for you. Thank you very much for that. Yes. On deck for the show, Truist Advisory's Keith Leonard lays out the trading week ahead, plus a new study pulling back the curtain on younger investors. A look at what's fueling their tendency for riskier trading habits. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, whatever podcast app you choose. Worldwide Exchange audio format. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. A recent study out focusing on young investors now, shedding new light on their appetite for risk and the role social media is playing in fueling some of that action. One of the key takeaways, the penchant for them to take bigger gambles when their peers are watching them do so. Christina Partsonevelis joins us now with more on those findings. Good morning, Christina. Good morning. HODL, AMC with diamond hands until it goes to the moon. A new era of meme investing is upon us. The online world encouraging each other to hold investments regardless of the potential losses. And it's 
public nature could be why younger retail investors are willing to take on that risk. So almost six in 10 Gen Z and millennial investors are members of investment communities, think uh, like Reddit, and many are getting their financial advice online, like apps like uh, YouTube. Although apps like Robinhood and Twitter weren't the focus of this particular study, a recent economic survey of 18 to 24-year-olds were found to be far more likelier to choose riskier financial decisions when being watched by others. Today, investors are constantly sharing trades on Twitter, encouraging each other to stay long or hodled trades. And so behavioral researchers say the risk could stem from the interaction of community and capital. It's not really so much about earning profit as much as um, you know, showing your fellow community members, you know, this is what I got. This is I'm going to keep holding on for you guys for the rest of my community. You saw a lot of that with 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 GameStop. Social media and social interaction are a big part of why Robinhood and Reddit are so popular. Reddit's Wall Street bets, for example, skyrocketed to include more than 10.7 million people. And although the propensity to gamble grows when everyone can see your stock pickings online through tweets, there is an upside. A rise in retail investor market participation and more are definitely getting in the game, especially since the pandemic. I mean, Christina, this is no surprise, right? I mean, you, you walk into a casino and if you see a I mean, I'm not likening investing to a casino. What I'm saying is if you see a lot of activity in action at that blackjack table or that hot craps table, people tend to be drawn towards it. So what exactly are we seeing data wise around some of these other parts of this issue? We know that action brings more action. Dom, yes, action brings more action, but I think the big part of this study and what we've noticed is the sense of community. So a lot of these investors are maybe holding on to stocks a little bit longer than they should or selling a little bit early because they're encouraging each other to do so. So that would be uh, the slight difference between, uh, let's say, the Twitter world, the FinTwits versus a casino. And then the, the, the other changes that we're seeing, too, is just smartphones in general. There was another survey or study, I should say, that looked at two German banks and some investors there, and they found that people that use their smartphone phone are more likely to take riskier investments, have a lower sharp ratio in terms of the performance of their investments. So there's a lot of triggers, too, that we have to be aware of that uh, on your phone, sometimes when it's too simple, it may not necessarily be a good thing. I was going to say ease of use is probably what's facilitating the, the rapid amount of transactions. Christina Partsanebolis. Exactly. Thank you very much for that. We're going to use that and stick with the markets because futures right now are indicating a lower open. The Dow is implied lower by roughly 74 points. We've got a big week for investors as, as attention once again turns back to the Federal Reserve and its next policy steps. For more on this trading week ahead, let's bring in Keith Lerner, chief market strategist at Truist Advisory Services. Keith, it's pretty amazing. We've come off record closes again for the S&P 500 and the Dow. Is this a market that you feel is still constructive enough for people to remain investing in? Well, first of all, great to be with you, as, as always, Dom. And the answer is, is yes. Uh, and we, are, you know, we typically look at the, the next 12 months. And when we look at that, uh, we have an economy that's only about a year into this expansion. The average expansion is about five years. And the bull market, in our view, is very much intact, supported by just, you know, great earning trends as a whole. We are in a transition, right? This is the second year of a bull market. 
so far, the volatility has been low. Typically, you see somewhat higher volatility as you move towards the second year of a bull market. Uh, but overall, if you have an economy that's sound, you have earnings that are, are solid, and you still have a favorable um, uh, you know, monetary policy, even if it becomes incrementally less so, I still think that's a good environment. But the reality is we're not going to move at 100 percent up like we've done over the last 18 months. Yeah, I mean, since the pandemic lows, the S&P has roughly doubled in value at this point now. It can't go on forever. We get that. But there hasn't even been a pullback. There hasn't even been there's been no inkling of anything of that sort. We always talk about how Federal Reserve and interest rate policy tends to be the thing that really ends these bull runs throughout the course of history. Do you expect that the pressure is now on the Fed to do something where policy can be normalized, but then not derail the market? That's right. Um, typically, you know, a Fed's change injects volatility, just like a peak in growth in the economy tends to inject volatility. But really, what tends to end the bull market is moving into a recession. And right now, we think the economy is on solid footing. Look at the consumer. There's still a lot of excess savings. Um, the debt service ratios to service things like even mortgage uh, mortgages right now is at the lowest level in about 20 or 30 years as a whole. Uh, so there's still pent up demand uh, um, as a whole. So and then businesses, businesses are actually on firm footing. We've seen a lot of business uh, crop, uh, equipment spending. And right now, um, inventories are so low, which is a boring topic, Dom, right? But we have to rebuild those inventories, which continues to support the overall economy. So again, we think things are on, on solid footing, but you should expect, I mean, you know, by definition, a moderation in the, in the move upside. And a lot of the action we're going to see in the market is likely below the surface, not just at the headline index. And that's why we're finding more opportunities in some of the cyclical areas where people have almost given up here more recently. I, I, I don't think it's boring at all. I, I think that's exactly what investors and traders are trying to figure out right now, Keith. So where then exactly are the opportunities? I mean, is, is it going to be those value uh, pandemic kind of plays that we've seen over the course of the last year take us higher? Airlines, hotels, consumer discretionary. Is it a return to big technology companies and communication services? Where's the outperformance going to be? Where's the leadership? Yeah. So the first thing, I do think it's more of a balanced overall outlook relative to, to last year where you're finding opportunities in both growth and value. We still lean for the next 12 months more on the value side. Simply, uh, if you think about it, we've seen this kind of back and forth, back and forth, forth stealth rotation within the market. Technology um, outperformed by about 18 to 9 percent over the last f couple of months. We think that leadership by tech is likely uh, unlikely to continue. And after liquidation and after somewhat of a give up, we think that the move back into value has some sustainability. So we like um, specifically the, the financial area. Uh, and as, as yields slowly rebound, that should help out. They're really cheap. Uh, Dom, an interesting uh, uh, statistic right now is the growth area is trading at about a 30 multiple on a forward basis. The value area is about 16. So it's relatively cheap. And I think people are too concerned about this peak growth phenomenon, which we think peak growth isn't weak growth. And that should con continue to support more of the value side of the market. All right. Value is the leadership, says Keith Lerner at Truist. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Great to be with you. That does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now indicating a lower open slightly. The Dow is implied lower by roughly 80 points. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.